Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Fred Barnes. And before we get to the specifics from the White House, Fred, I know that you and a group of your hard-drinking, card-playing, cigar-chomping <laughs> buddies got together and did your picks for the Senate. Is that right? We did, and uh, and I came out. Uh, I had no number of uh, Senate seats that the Republicans would would pick up. I mean, obviously, we all know that they're probably uh, they have an, almost a certain chance of of winning in West Virginia, uh, South Dakota, and Montana. But after that, who knows? Uh, but I had to pick, and at the margin, it came out at the end uh, plus seven Republicans. Uh, that would give them fifty-two uh, Senate seats, and you know, a little bit of a margin uh, there, but. Uh, 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 Democrats could still filibuster if they uh, were united on issues. But plus seven, um, you know, here we are a couple of months ahead of the election, and uh, it looks that way, even though the races are very, very close. You would think in some of these ones, particularly the ones with Democratic incumbents, uh, like uh, uh, Mark Pryor in Arkansas and, and so on, that they would be, uh, that they should be, uh, if they were going to win, uh, over 50 percent in some polls at least and and you know mary landrew's not there and in louisiana and and so on so uh democrats are in trouble the undecided voters are beginning to uh decide i think and uh and and as best i can tell in in polls that i've seen in the last few days they seem to be deciding by uh, the majority of them for republicans in arkansas uh for one place where mark uh, Pryor is so you mentioned very- you've mentioned Arkansas and you've mentioned um, Louisiana. To get, that gets us mm-hmm. to five. Uh, is North Carolina one of the seven? Well, uh, North Carolina was actually not one of the seven, oh. even though it's a, a, a very close race. But uh, but Tom Tillis has had a little bit of trouble. Uh, he's been trailing uh, Kay Hagan. There's a new poll in the. Uh, in the who did the poll? I forget who did it. It was in the Raleigh News and Observer this morning uh, that showed her ahead again. Uh, she's been consistently ahead, um, and and we'll see. North Carolina is one of the states. Actually, Arkansas is another one where the uh, Harry uh, <clears throat> Harry Reid's pack and other liberal Democratic packs have poured in the money. Uh, normally, those seem to be the ones that are the main ones that they want to hold on to. Kay Hagan uh, there and uh, and Mark Pryor in Arkansas. So, anyway, I came out plus seven without winning North Carolina. So let's see. I'm guessing then Iowa is on your list. You know, uh, Joni Ernst has has uh, uh, turned out to be. Uh, she's merely a state senator, has turned out to be a great candidate. You never know about candidates until they start campaigning. Uh, sometimes you have great uh, uh, people with great resumes and look like they'd be wonderful senators, but they're no, not no, good uh, campaigners. So stop, let's stop picking on Rick Perry, please. Okay, Fred? <laughs> no, I'm a, I, uh, Rick Perry's a, a, this is the new Rick Perry <laughs> uh, in 2014. Rick Perry's uh, Rick Perry, uh, I admire him for a, a number of reasons. But in any case, Joni Ernst and I, well, I picked her. Okay. Uh, Bruce Braley, who's a very, very liberal uh, uh, House member from Iowa, has been has created a number of gaffes and uh, and is really a tool of the trial lawyers. Uh, I think she's going to win. And then that brings us to number seven, Alaska. Alaska, uh, you know, I I, uh, I I just think Alaska is too much of a, a Republican state. And Republicans, when they have a good candidate, ought to win. And they do have a good candidate in Dan Sullivan. 
and Begich uh, has hurt himself badly with this ad accusing Sullivan of, uh, of letting some rapist and killer uh, get a small sentence in a case that he had nothing to do with. Uh, and it has really backfired on Begich. And, uh, you know, Democrats, their ad, they don't defend Obama. They don't defend Obamacare, uh, uh, mostly. Uh, all their ads do are attack Republicans on moral and motivational grounds, on personal grounds. They're not running on any issues. They're running that, uh, look, my, our, uh, my opponent, my Republican opponent is a, uh, swine, and uh, that's why you should elect me. <laughs> uh, Fred Barnes, and that brings us to the kind of the big picture here, which is mm-hmm. the idea of the Republicans picking up the uh, Senate. I remember in 2009, right after the election and President Obama was inaugurated, there's a lot of talk about is the Republican Party dead? Is it obsolete? Mm-hmm. You hear that mm-hmm. talk all the time because of the Republican Party's positions on issues like, say, immigration, that they're mm-hmm. the party of the past and they're all done. And yet mm-hmm. here we are looking at a likelihood. Uh, Nate Silver puts it at around 65% that the Republicans yep. will pick up the Senate. And interestingly, one of the issues is immigration. And I could have sworn mm-hmm. that people were telling me just weeks ago that immigration was a killer for Republicans. <laughs> and yet President Obama has announced, yes, I'm going to do a massive, drastic amnesty. But because of the politics, he actually said it, mm-hmm. because of the politics, I'll be yeah. waiting until after the election. Mm-hmm. Well, then he had some other reasons too. They're, they're not just the politics, the, uh, but of course it, it's 100% politics. And he's been under pressure from uh, from Democratic Senate candidates. I've mentioned a couple of them, Begich in Alaska, and in, and even Al Franken in Minnesota. Say, oh, don't do it now, uh, because if you if you do this massive illegal um, <clears throat> uh, legalizing. Uh, of illegal immigrants in the United States now, it will kill me in the election. And so that's why he's put it off. You know, look, on immigration, which the president says is so important that we can't wait, that uh, and Congress won't pass anything or the Republicans won't, we have to do it so quickly, uh, but he couldn't do it in his first term. He couldn't do it in his first two years when Democrats could get anything through. But, you know, it's so important to him, but he couldn't bring it up then because he thought it might hurt him in his reelection in 2012. Now he thinks, uh, even though it's so important, it's the biggest, it's the most critical issue facing the country, according to uh, uh, many Democrats and liberals. And yet, well, we have to put it off until after the election. I mean, the hypocrisy and the phoniness here uh, is really uh, uh, drastic. There's a new poll out that shows that 52% of Americans judge the Obama presidency as a failure, only mm-hmm. 42% as a success. And you know, I, I, that even that 42%, if you start going objectively through the list, is, is hard to defend. But mm-hmm. I wonder if the combination of world events where it's clear that lack of American leadership has resulted in, in chaos, then you have mm-hmm. the chaos at the border, you have you know this kind of scrambling around uh, on the political front where the president doesn't even seem to know what his own position is going to be on things from Syria to immigration. If that all lends to an air of you know, the kind of the wheels are coming off. In other words, if you're voting Mm -hmm. on stay the course or make a change, it's not just make a change, it's holy moly, I better jump off this bus before it crashes into something. And so I have two questions for you, Fred. Do you think that that mood is the mood of the moment? And is there a point where that conclusion is, quote, what's the phrase you guys like to use, baked into the cake? In other words, Mm -hmm. there's nothing that Democrats can do. There's no amount of money they can spend in October to undo that perception. Yeah, um, well, I don't think many things are baked into the cake yet, except for this. And the poll, uh, I think it was the Washington Post ABC poll, 
that found 52% found that uh, that they think the president is, has failed um, and has been a failure as president. Um, the, the one thing is, I mean, the president falls back on, on his retreat around the world, you know, not having a strategy to, uh, to uh, stand up to the Russians or to the ISIS or to anybody around the world as uh, American influence and power shrinks everywhere. Uh, his fallback position is, well, this is what the American people want. They don't want to be in wars anywhere and so on. And there is some legitimacy to that, not nearly as much as the president thinks. Americans don't want to be in wars. On the other hand, one of the things they don't want is a weak president. And they've got one. And I think that poll showing 52% think that he's a failure uh, represents that. And do other polls that show the rejection of his foreign policy, even though supposedly the American people agree with it. they do not want a weak president. They do not want weak leadership. They do not want, they may not want America to be in any wars, uh, at the moment. On the other hand, they don't want American influence to shrink. They don't want the inability to project power for good, for democracy, for to keep the sea lanes open and so on, to project that power around the world. They don't want it to shrink or vanish. Uh, and yet all that's happening under Obama. So that brings us to the uh, question then, is there a chance for the president to turn that perception of weakness around? Perhaps he's giving a speech, as you know, uh, uh, Wednesday. Could yep. he come up with an ISIS uh, fighting program, get allies involved, and become a wartime president here in the last few weeks and kind of bolster his team and uh, get rid of some of the perception that he's not really keeping things together? Mm-hmm. In a word, no. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, Michael, stop and think for a minute. When was the last time the president gave a speech that influenced American public opinion in any way at all? Uh, When he was at the Democratic National Convention in Boston in 2004. That's about it. That really is about it. Uh, And his, uh, you know, his speeches, uh, uh, even from his, going back to his first year in office, his inaugural address and so on, they have been, they haven't, uh, change public opinion at all. The most embarrassing ones are, of course, were the ones back in in uh, a couple of years ago when, uh, after the uh, shootings in Newtown, Connecticut, he was going to go around the country and change the view of the American people on gun control. He was going to defeat the in public opinion, the NRA, and so on. And and he tried to do that. No impact whatsoever. The only impact was that support for gun control shrank a little bit. Um, the president, so, uh, the president, it would be, it would be a total shock, uh, to me and I guess to you too, if the president gave a speech tomorrow that showed one, he had a coherent strategy and two, he could influence the American people. Well, Fred, I hear that some of the weekly standard staffers are there at your door, so we'll let you go. Okay. <laughs> that, that, you know, when there's a, a FedEx truck or the mailman outside, my lovely dog, Andy, likes to bark. Otherwise, very gentle. Great. Thanks so much. That's Fred Bards <laughs> with the Weekly Standard. Thanks so much for joining us for the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.